Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Well, welcome. We've got a slightly different seating to to acknowledge the issues with COVID that are expanding everywhere. So we're sharing our 1.5 metres. Yeah. (laughs) You probably can't see the the Bob Hook socks here. So I think we're all going to sit here and go, yeah, but we're not going to do it. Matt's very distressed about the change. I was. I was heartbroken. Look, we've got a lot on, and I know we always do have a lot on, and there's been extension of paid pandemic leave, which mm-hmm. goes till 30 September, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's correct. I remember last week we talked about the lack of security around casuals. I think that's a great decision. It was one of what the federal government wanted to do, but they certainly did Much it after the national government. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we've seen in relation to the health awards, six of the awards, the, rest, the, the maintenance of unpaid pandemic leave, which is just two weeks, is that yes, right now? two weeks until the 31st of December. Great. Mm. Good. So, still no evidence anyone's using it, interestingly yeah, enough, Andrew. Yeah, the union could uh, yeah. present any information. Yeah, yeah. it's fascinating. I'm surprised that the union <laughs> <have> evidence. <laughs> I don't know, in all my fights against unions, I didn't find evidence of any big part of their game. But anyway, what is has gone through very quietly, guys, and, and really does concern me around the strategy that we engage for employers around particularly psychological claims in workers' compensation, is the adoption of the 2019 Ombudsman's Report on Workers' Compensation, which sets up an arbitration process within 30 days after a conciliation. Yeah, from 1 Uh, September. From 1 September, good. We're going to get Kim to actually do a video for you to explain what this means in strategy, but in simple terms, there was a very strong leverage point that used to exist by getting a dispute in the conciliation process. Mm. It would take about a year for the matter to be litigated in the magistrate's court and often employees just fell away who were in genuine yeah. disputes. It was too expensive and stressful. Um, whereas yeah. Yeah. that's going to change because in 30 days you're going to be on trial. Yeah. And, and yeah. I guess for the three of us what we talked about is don't. We, there's a lot of people who get their insurer offside by, mm. by trying to reject every claim. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah. But this shows that you've got to get your ducks in a row very early, get your evidence right, and then make a good decision about seeking rejection so you are ready to jump at the trial. Straight into trial. That's right. That's right. Those trials will be evidence-free zones, I suspect, Mm. so they're going to be very quick, very intrusive and quick decision-making. Not a bad thing, really, because it means you as the employer can always put the best foot forward. But we'll get Kim to actually do a video for you which tells you exactly what you do need to do. So yeah. thanks, guys, for pulling that together. Mm-hmm. I think, Matt, we've got <laughs> the <laughs> Dean versus Regional Express. Yeah, That's no, not Deputy yeah. President Dean. Not the Dean. No, <laughs> no, no, no family connection there. Not to deeper, your, deeper, to your deeper. To your chagrin. Take the Dean. So, oh. Sorry, I couldn't resist it. So, Matt, over to you. Tell us about Dean. Yeah, so look, we're seeing all of these sort of unfair dismissal cases around vaccination policies now coming through the Fair Work Commission. And this case, a really great reminder about the importance of one, yes, commissions, courts going to uphold the enforceability of these policies, but it's not an excuse not to engage in procedural fairness. You know, here, Dean sort of went above and beyond with his vaccine hesitancy to reach out to the employer and try to get conversations started about alternatives and really valid alternatives that he raised as well. And the employer effectively turned around and terminated And just shut the door. They did, yeah. Yeah. In a meeting, before he could even have a meeting that he asked for, they sent him into another meeting, leaving him to believe that he thought it was going to be about those alternatives uh, and terminated his employment. And, you know, look, the Commission, interestingly enough here too as well, he went and did get vaccinated. 
during yeah. the period he was unemployed. So order for reinstatement. You know, yeah. so it's really fascinating. And, and look, the part that I like most is, and this is McKenna, who's the commissioner in, mm. in this case, said, look, valid reason. Valid That's reason. Right. So, you know, remember there's the four parts. There is yeah. a valid reason. Then is it harsh, unreasonable, or unjust? That's right. Mm. And of course, Unreasonable, unjust. Yes, you know. Yeah, that's yeah, right. So. We've just been so simple, just to have at least get this guy to one meeting, mm-hmm. and they just refused. And look, Matt, while you're on a run, oh, <laughs> always. Do I ever slide? Oh, with hooky socks yeah. on, you're on that's a run. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're in a conciliatory mode. So, fair work, ombudsman. Look, logistics goes back to these high court decisions again that shows the primacy of contracts. Mm when we're dealing with independent contractor employee arguments. That's right, that's right. We're starting to see personnel contracting in jam sector two high court decisions filter their way themselves um, through decisions of the courts where they're really strictly applying those tests. Now, interestingly here, the Fair Work Ombudsman at the first instance sought to establish that these four drivers were employees, not contractors, and before those two decisions, the, the first instance judge said they're independent contractors. Here, the all said we have... They are independent contractors, but it was simply looking at the primacy of the terms of the contract, said, look, there's some control here, absolutely, but when you look at the whole picture from all of the terms, which is what personnel contracting and JAMSEC ask us to do, said these individuals are independent contractors. So isn't interesting? Because the mm. judge did go and have a look around the control, That's the issues right. of control, which mm. are the factual substantive issues, yeah. but then pushed them aside and just went back to the contractor and said, look, in general, when you look at the mm. terms as a whole... Well, that's right, Andrew. And, and even in the contract, yeah. it had terms about the control that by themselves would have that's appeared right. to have been the sort of control... Allowing people. other people to undertake the work. So that's right. Let's let's remember, We I want you to come and speak to Matt and Nina about this. Get these contracts right. That's right. Because it protects you. Mm. Now, we're going to jump into the, the meaty issues of the day. The meaty issues of the day, that's probably because I had some meat last night, so the meaty issues of the day um, before I get foot in mouth disease. Oh, oh yes. Some as well, Foot in mouth. Come yeah. on, Matt, it was a joke. Oh, it was yeah. good. It was good. Watch yeah. out for barley. Yeah, no. Maybe uh, help him, help him. Yeah. Okay, so what we talked about last week is pretty technical area around what is a restraint, yeah. how you draft it, what are important about it. And I know that was a tough subject and um, we got some great feedback from Michelle and other people that maybe we dug a bit deep yeah. too far and the Went garden too deep. The, yeah, the we garden was full of vegetables by the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was but, well seated. <laughs> yeah. But today we're actually going to talk about the practice of it. The three things I want you to think about from what we talk about today is getting it right at the beginning, identifying mm-hmm. what is your intellectual property and getting the infrastructure around it how you actually teach your supervisors and managers to manage it and what is the structure of management around that confidential information. Mm-hmm. And finally, how you immediately identify risk and breach and respond quickly because you notice at the end when we look at remedies, they just disappear if you don't move quickly. Yeah. And, of course, your business is damaged and you damage your clients and suppliers by embroiling them in litigation. Yeah, gosh, yeah. you should don't want to be doing that. Don't so they're that. the three things. And I've got ten fingers up. Yes, that's a lot. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good math, Sandra. Maybe yeah. the three things, <laughs> three things oh, that I want to deal with today. And without further ado, Nina, I'm going to jump to Eamon Law and tell yeah. us about that case what they didn't do and what the outcome was. Yeah, so this is a really interesting case because uh, Lung was the chief commercial officer and he basically would go to many trade fairs and meet lots of suppliers and would input all this information into his WeChat, which is a Chinese social media platform. And basically when he chose to leave, the employer tried to enforce his restraints against him, claiming that those 
the information in WeChat was commercial information, so confidential information, and it was found to not be true. And the key issues here was they had absolutely no database to input that information, no CRM, nothing like that. There were no restrictions at all in using that information. I think his manager saw him inputting the information and Mm. thought nothing of it, was like, yep, you do your own thing no qualms here. So there was really no way to separate that information from his general notes. So there were three things, wasn't there? There was no identification of what was confidential information. There was no method of infrastructure in the storage and there was no enforcement in the protection of it during the life of the contract. Yeah, they had a policy, strangely, but just never told him about it or, Mm. like, took him through it at all. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, because remember, all policies you take out when you want to punish somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's right. (laughs) You don't train them on them. No, 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 don't train them on that special Are you free to this? My 85 page code of conduct. What's your name on page 34? So, Matt, what's the learning for this? Someone's about to come to you, you're about to employ them, what do you do? Well, it's that's the point in time to start thinking about what is your confidential information, what is it that you need to protect. You know, too often, I think. Clients, unfortunately, assume that a lot of things are confidential, which don't have that necessary characteristic, or they just try to limit themselves too much. You know, they think too narrowly about confidential information. So it's a proactive exercise. Before you get someone through the front door, before you put the documents in place, okay, what have we got in our business? What do we need to protect? And to what extent is that information that is confidential? Now, is it the supplier names? Is it the client names? Is it the methodology behind how we do something. It's sitting down, looking at the scope of your business as a whole and going, okay, what is it that we do? What are we trying to do? And what is it that's fundamentally important to making sure that we achieve the best commercial outcomes for those And without that, you can't write that in the contract. Yes, you can't actually right. identify oh, that's now, right. Other than yeah. doing that, Matt, because that's, that's the obvious thing, so I've yeah. done that analysis. I now write define commercial. Yep information and intellectual yep. property very, very clearly. Mm-hmm. But what else do I need to do before the person starts? What is it? If yep. the person's coming through the door, mm-hmm. I've got the contract ready for them to sign, mm-hmm. what else? Well, this is the induction step, Andrew. Yep. So really, really important that you don't simply sit and forget these sorts of Ah, uh, there's the phrase you told me. It's so There's that the orange out of the barrel. You knew it was coming. The important part is, is that individuals who sign these contracts, they need to understand what it is that you're actually asking them to do, okay? And they need to understand that before they put pen to paper in any way, shape or form, okay? And so that's where the induction process around what the restraint is is really important. Now, admittedly, look, it's a bit of an awkward conversation. There's no doubt about it. You get your, your newer person <laughs> through the front door that you're going to have come and be an important part of your business and you have sitting them down to talk to them about, okay, well, if it all goes wrong and you send, you leave, it doesn't have to be, does it? Because no. it adds to the gravitas of the moment. Well, that's also We're about to start with us. Yeah. We have some unique suppliers mm. and clients who have unique information. And mm. for us and for you, it's important you take charge of these people, yep. but you understand it's something that we must protect. Yep. And because of that, you can't use your personal phone and here's yep. our SIM card, which yep. we own. Mm-hmm. Here's mm-hmm. our laptop. That's You're not right. allowed to use a personal laptop. That's right. Here's the CRM that sits inside it. Mm-hmm. And we start saying these are the things you can do, these are the things you can't yep. do. 
but remember, never let people use their personal phone at work. Yeah, uh, that's just dumb, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. All especially, I mean, in terms of saving information. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, even on anything. So, oh, Matt, Matt, Matt says yeah. he's working hard, and I ring up Telstra and say, look, Matt, I just rang Matt. And I find out he's sitting on the beach in the Gold Coast. Mm. Okay. He could be working hard there. <laughs> could be, but I don't think so. It sounds like <laughs> So, you know, if you don't own the infrastructure, you've got no resource. That's you've right. You've got no place to go. Yeah. Okay. So that's good stuff. So yeah. let's get into now, Nina, we're talking about someone. They've started their job. We've got a supplier list that's come on the desk. We've got a group of salespeople sitting around a room. We've got some margin analysis going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. What should be happening at this stage? Yeah, so definitely don't just do the induction, but you also have to maintain the confidentiality throughout the employment. So marking things as confidential, making sure that only the right people have access to it. And that's my it. point, isn't it? How yeah. often in a sales meeting does margin mm-hmm. analysis of Matt's clients yeah. get shared with a group of people where it's yeah. not relevant or have that's access right. on a computer that anyone can yeah. log in? And that's they're not right. taking the access back, yeah. so it's not clear. There's no restrictions or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. papers aren't removed afterwards. That's yeah. marked to be removed. Yeah. Can I just say this is where we have all our litigation and it fails yeah. because yeah. this is where if it was confidential information, as a matter of law, it's just waived. That's right. Yeah. That's right. The waiver is such a huge issue. It's so common. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. your heart and soul. That's right. Yeah, yeah this yeah. is what makes your business unique and people just let it go. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. when Matt says set up the infrastructure, what he's also saying is then set up the administrative controls and practices yeah. that yeah. come from it. Yeah. Because if you don't do that, you don't have confidential information. Yeah. No, that's right. You have yeah. what right. Nina would just, we were talking about yesterday, which is just know how because you, yeah. you sit there, you absorb information, relevant yeah. or not relevant, mm-hmm. it becomes you. Well, and they can right, take yeah. it with them then. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. And yeah. things can lose their confidentiality. I think that's the other really important yeah. part to remember yeah. in this is that just because something is once confidential doesn't mean it's confidential till the end of time, you know, and the way to protect that is to make sure you're taking steps with that information consistent with the confidentiality of what you're trying to claim. All right. So we're now on to the next part, which is dealing with a difficult employee. We can, we can smell it. Mm-hmm. And remember, we're talking about red flag employees you can tell something's about to go mm. bad, can't you? Yeah. And when you yeah. look at, I mean, we're the sort of pathologists of business. You yeah. only come to us after someone's dead, basically. <laughs> so, but, yeah. so we see the worst cases. But we what do. we do see on every occasion is identifiable red markers that tell us that person's going to go or yeah. you're going to have to get rid of that person. That's right. Yeah. And as you start to put that pressure on, sometimes people go. So the next part of the conversation is I've got a feeling I've got an impression someone's going to go or I'm about to start moving towards someone. What do I need to do and why? So, Matt, when I get that feeling, Mm. what do I need to do straight away? That's right. Well, you need to start taking real practical steps. Mm. You know, if if you know that you've got this sense that they're doing something or thinking about something, get a hold of all of the different bits of infrastructure that you have set up at the beginning that we talked about, the laptop, the phone the systems, the CRM, mirror those, access those in the way that you rightfully can access because they're your property as the employer and start following what's happening in the behaviour. Are you seeing things being sent to email addresses that they shouldn't be? Are you seeing contacts and documents being sent, delivered, deleted, whatever it might be? And if you are concerned and you're about to, you are going to terminate someone, Mm -hmm. and it's a senior person, so you're entitled as a matter of common law to say, I'm going to give you three months' notice. Yeah. Don't. Terminate them and pay out their notice. No. Yeah. Yes. No. no. Stick no. them on guarding leave where your fiduciary duties are still alive. So That's the right. duties yeah. of acting in the best interest of the business, acting honestly. Mm-hmm. Guarding leave just means you can call them back as you require them. Yep. yep. 
they are told they are not to breach. So yep. you're very clear when you mm. place someone on gardening leave. You've got enormous capacity to litigate and win in that time. That's After right. someone leaves, it's much harder to enforce. Yeah, important yeah. to do it while the employment relationship is still on foot. Yeah, yeah. and uh, look, I think the gardening leave question is if it's not in the contract, you're probably going to be okay. Yeah. but You have to fight it. You're going to have yeah. to fight it. And as we'll talk about in everything we do, the idea is to have a clean run to home. Yeah. yeah. It's not to set up obstacles in your way which yeah. allows the person to fight. Absolutely. Now, the next part of this is, you know, when you're dealing with a red flag employee, <laughs> one of the things is they drive you crazy. Yeah. yeah. And therefore, rather than acting reflectively, you act reflexively mm. and you do things and say things that are not flash. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. So let's, um, I think, probably jump to you on doing things that aren't flash, mm. not that you do those. <laughs> no, no, thank you. I'm always <laughs> mainly the flashiest. Yeah, <laughs> well, you got the flash socks. So maybe we'll go Crow Horwith and Loon yeah. the case just mm. to explain what happens when businesses do the wrong thing and then yeah. seek to enforce. That's right. So in this circumstance, the employer really did two main things. First, there was a new ownership of the business of the employer. So Loon was the director. No, so Loon was the director, sorry. Yeah. That's right. Crow Hall was then became an, under new ownership of the business. The contract had been entered into under the previous ownership and guaranteed a quite generous bonus provision for Loon as director and as employee of the business. New ownership comes in, makes several different changes, but most importantly, seeks to unilaterally change the bonus provision, reducing it by about about 80% yeah. um, of what uh, Loon was otherwise going to be entitled to. And so Loon, understandably, turns around and says, well, if this conduct that you've engaged in, it repudiates my contract. You've acted counter to the terms of what's been agreed. I accept that repudiation and I'm off to start my own new business. My own business. There's an interesting part. Yeah. Remember, in contract law, you can repudiate, but if you continue to operate as if mm. there's... No change. That's right. You, if, yeah. you, don't, you don't accept don't it. Don't accept it. Then, you then, waived your right then to there's accept. no termination. That's but right. But if you immediately accept mm. it yeah. and do no other conduct like accept wages, do all those yeah. other things, you yeah. just say, no, I accept that, yeah. then it terminates to the, yes. to the detriment of the employer. That's right. That's right. Because the Employers Act, and that's what the court holds here, the Employers Act repudiated it, and in that circumstance, it terminates the contract entirely. None of it is left on foot. There's no post-employment restraints. Nothing, nothing at all. So you lose yeah. all, your, all your restraints. So that's right. No red rage. No, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no red yeah. rage. No. Just be careful. Get your evidence carefully yeah. together. Yeah. Don't Go through the termination process. Do it properly. Don't create a circumstance where the person would say you repudiate. Yeah, that's right. Right, just very quickly, let's go on to the enforcement of restraints. The jurisdiction to seek an injunction is called an equitable jurisdiction, mm -hmm. which requires you to behave properly. Mm -hmm. That means none of that rude or naughty behaviour. No, that's that right. That damages you. Clean hands. Yes, clean hands. Odd word called latches or lachies, whichever one you want to say, which means any delay means that you have nothing to protect. Mm. In other words, if you take two weeks to bring an action, that means you weren't scared yeah. enough to bring it straight away. Mm. So this means getting your evidence together. Remember, we spoke about immediately and responding immediately allows you to get injunctions. And you can see from this, injunctions is where we want to get because we mm. want to stop the breach. That's yeah. right. If you get an interim injunction, which is what you're normally looking yeah. for, you very rarely go on to trial because... No. You've won what you're trying to do, stopping yeah. the person's employment, yeah. stopping their breach. You've also prevented the damage to your business. Yeah. Yeah. And by merely seeking undertakings from someone and threatening it, you've probably prevented damage from your clients and suppliers who you'd have to call as a witness. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And that's the big issue because, remember, once you start litigation, you damage everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So an injunction, if we go through that process, 
great process. You start off in the interim, you go forth through to a final injunction yep. and a trial. You can get damages, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. There's another one, which is if you get in early enough and you find someone's breached a fiduciary duty, which is the pre whilst you're employed breaches, mm-hmm. acting in the best interest of the business, due care and attention, all those sort mm-hmm. of things, you can get an account of profit, which yeah. is a great gouging remedy. Yes, That's absolutely. So but difficult, but <laughs> yeah. difficult to get. But if you can prove, and this is why we say, if you can get in before someone leaves mm-hmm. with the evidence of breach, yeah. Yeah, you're there and then the gouging remedy allows you to continue to seek discovery through subpoena or otherwise mm-hmm. to find out all the information of where they go financially mm-hmm. and then to get gross profit back. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it kills the donor organ. Yes. It's, yeah. it's nothing better. There is nothing better in the no, world than true. going for counter profits. Yeah. Damages is really problematic because the assessment is so difficult yeah. and you spent $300,000 getting mm-hmm. to where you need to get. Yeah. So it's a dumb place to be left. And the last part, of course, is specific performance. I enforce this restraint. And what Matt has said last week and what we talked about this week is that means you have to have a purely perfect contract to enforce with something pure and easy to require the performance. So any complexity takes out specific performance. So we thought we'd just give it to you, but the real reason for giving this is if you don't move immediately, you lose three out of your four remedies. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Move fast. Mm, All right. Well, so the case study. All right. Felicity was recruited to work at Basil's Brickmakers, selling bricks to commercial builders. She negotiated her contract through her recruiter. The recruiter was advised of the job title, the remuneration, and that the contract would include a restraint. Felicity accepted the job over the phone with the recruiter. On the first day of work, Felicity signed her contract, including a restraint, before she was inducted into the job. She would work alongside three other salespeople, each with a specific territory and key clients. Felicity's client base was commercial architects in large CBD developments, with 90% of her work in Melbourne and Sydney CBDs. In the afternoon, she met the national sales manager, Jody, and the national analytics manager, Jared. Jody provided her with a client list, taught her how to use a CRM, and handed her a black book with personal details of key personnel, information you couldn't lawfully collect under privacy. I think that's personal information. I think that was my my spelling and safe didn't pick it up. Or is it a personal... Personal data, key personnel. No, that makes sense, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah, well, it's, we've key, it's yeah. personal. It's information like whether you're married, whether you've got that sort of stuff. Yes, yes. yes. But it's personal. Yeah, anyway. Jody told her not to share the information with anyone. Safe needs to wear glasses. Jared. <laughs> <laughs> she's right. But okay, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we actually need a yeah. sober or what, a unity ticket that she yeah. was right here. Jared then well, gave her. Jared gave <laughs> detailed financial and <laughs> performance studies of their products against their competitors. Jared explained that this was very confidential information. At the monthly sales meetings, Jody and Jared would update information in the written reports. The sales team would share detailed information and update their black books and the CRM. At no time did Jody and Jared say the information shared at the sales meetings was confidential, but everyone knew these were very valuable insights into their clients. Jody and Jared did not ask for the written reports to be returned to them or held in any specific way. When Felicity left to work with a competitor two years later, Basils sought to enforce their restraints around confidential information and the solicitation of clients with an emphasis on client lists and associated information. We've got two questions. Mm-hmm. So the first one, bit of a trick question, and we've had some really good arguments. Classic answer oh, question. Yeah, yeah, was Felicity's written contract that contained the restraints enforceable? Well, as Andrew put it, and he convinced us in our discussion of this yesterday, the gun, oh, guns, are, guns are both of their heads. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, you can't see behind us, yeah. Uh, was that the answer to that was no, because the oral contract that exists at the time 
that the recruiter and uh, and uh, Felicity spoke to one another. So Felicity sort of recruiter set out sort of some key terms in yeah. that oral agreement, the pay, the fact that we'd have a restraint, the position, all the sort of key elements uh, for an employment contract that a court would likely look at and say, look, this, this you know, there was consideration here. It's given rise to a contract for this oral agreement uh, and we're just going to imply in at common law, as it does, all the other terms that they needed to give business equity yeah. and uh, that are reasonable. So we had a debate about this and a really good yeah. debate because, as Matt said, there is an argument that you could fold it in based on the circumstances. But the issue is, remember, how many roadblocks do you want to have? Yeah. And there is a number of cases that have simply said, particularly in the New South Wales jurisdiction, no, it is the oral contract that is alive. Yeah. Consideration has passed once you've agreed to the contract mm. the person goes to start work. Yeah. And, yeah, the court will look at what are reasonable terms. Mm. And then you've got this other contract which has no consideration at all. Mm. Now, will that be the final? At the end of the day, if you litigate it, there's a whole lot of factors which we haven't mentioned here which could move it one way or the other. Mm. But can you please make sure that if you have those discussions, you say, you'll get the job. This is the Masters and Cameron argument yeah. that's mm. the case. You'll have the job. When you agree with what we say the job offer is mm. in a contract and return that to us in a sign. In the written terms, yeah. Um, yeah. So there is a way to do this. Mm. You don't always have to get people to sign in front of you, but there's a case called Masters and Cameron that says you can, I can say to Nina, look, the job's A, B and C, but I'll give you the formal document which contains all those terms and they go, that's fine, I accept the job. Yep. And we say, well, we only accept the job once you return the executed contract that is enough to yeah. make sure it is Such the a rhythm. simple line to save you. Yeah, that's but, right. But how often yeah. are we faced with people who oh, really the constantly. oral contract is the operative one absolutely. unless you want yeah. to litigate? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, absolutely. Yeah. And, of course, restraints which require precision to be determined whether they're reasonable. Mm. Like, I can never mm. say, Matt, look, come and work for us. And, by the way, there's a six-month restraint in that case. Oh, yeah. Is there? Yeah. Six months from what? Yeah, with yeah. With how? Yeah. What about how? Where why? Let yeah. alone, yeah. you know, we subject to restraint. Great. Yeah. Okay. I won't drink too much when I work with you. Is that a restraint? Oh, yeah. No. That's oh, right. It certainly wasn't nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> Ever since we said him a beer making course, things haven't been the same. <laughs> All right. Moving on to was the client list and related information confidential? Nina, what do you reckon? Well, it's interesting because when they first gave it to her, they did say, look, this is confidential, but then they actually waived that confidentiality because then they gave it to all these other salespeople who didn't need it in completely different areas, gave these written reports, never took them back, had all these sales meetings, never mentioned the word confidentiality again. So they really did set and forget, Matt. Yeah, they did. <laughs> oh, <Thank you>. no. <laughs> I can't believe you gave it back to him. After all my effort of shaming him for yeah. it, you've gone and given him back. That's the teamwork. Right? That's yeah. the teamwork. And that's, that's the, the, the pat under the table. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right. Now, look, we're moving in pretty closely to what we're going to do next week. We thought we'd ask you, what do you want to do? We've done a lot of work around legal professional privilege. There is a very large challenge going on by the ATO against mm. legal professional privilege in tax planning. Yes. And similarly, there's been challenged recently in workplace investigations. Mm. So very big issue about what does legal, what is it? Mm. What does it protect? Mm. When a court challenges what happens and what's going to be left if they do. So I think that's really interesting. The other part is we still haven't got the psychological regs through yet. <laughs> No, they're not. They're still but made. we are starting to see unions utilising mm. psychological the psychological regs, which they haven't realised, haven't gone through yet, 
as a very sharp instrument to attack performance management processes. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a really good process around safety at the moment that's worth things. So you vote. Over to you, and thank you very much. Safe, are you sending them out the vote? Go for it. I think, yeah. yeah. So, don't forget to like, yeah. react, 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 yeah. react yeah. shame And shout out to Grace, the number yeah. one supporter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye, everyone.